What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you for tuning in, as always. If you've been a longtime follower, you might have realized or noticed or seen on Twitter that I just took a month off. And there's a very big reason for that. I'm a dad now. I think like maybe three years ago, no, maybe it was an episode like four or five years ago, I made a whole intro about how I'll probably never be a dad, how my time's running out, how I'll not meet anybody, yada, yada, yada. It was after a, a breakup where I thought I wasted a bunch of years, or not wasted, but, you know, um, lost a bunch of years. Yeah, now I'm married and have a fucking kid. So I guess when I just gave up, everything started working out. Right at the beginning of this episode with Aerospace, uh, he and I start talking about the fact that we're squeezing in an episode because my wife had been having labor contractions for most of the day, very mild ones, and they had stayed really consistent where they weren't increasing in intensity or time interval. So we weren't too worried. We thought maybe we'd end up going to the hospital in the morning. But Aerospace and I had been trying to get an episode in for quite a few months now, probably since the turn of the year. And he happened to be in town the week that I was starting my planned paternity leave, basically, uh, because I wanted to like start prepping the house more for the baby. We had all this stuff, but we had stuff that we needed to build and stuff that we needed to clean and yada, yada, yada. And so he happened to be here on a, we planned it out for a Thursday. It was a Thursday. And... I went to do the podcast thinking everything would be like fine. And then I got home at around 10 p.m. I'm talking on the phone with my brother in my vehicle in the driveway. When I get a text and my wife was like, my mucus plug just fell out. And I kicked into like crazy panicked future dad mode. I was like, oh, oh my God, oh my God, it's time, it's time. Like a fucking movie caricature, you know. I ran into the house and I start packing an overnight bag, which I hadn't done like an idiot. Uh, they tell you to have your overnight bag packed long, long before the due date, but he wasn't due until April 8th. And this was on the evening of April 1st. So I guess I was a fool on April Fool's Day, but I'm practicing my dad jokes um, for not having a bag packed. So I ran in the house, I pack a bag, I run to CVS real quick to grab. Uh, toiletries that we didn't have, like little travel toiletries. I was the last uh, person in the store, last customer in the store. They're announcing that it's closing. I'm like, wait, wait, my wife's in labor. I just need some toiletries. I'm almost done. Go back to the house and we call the hospital and tell them, you know, the mucus plug fell out. And my wife tells them that she's having contractions and tells them about the time. And she has like a contraction app downloaded that times them out and you rate the intensities and the intervals, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of lets you know when you need to go to the hospital. Because the thing about it is in COVID times, you can't just go to the hospital when you're in labor and be guaranteed to check in. You have to be at a certain dilation in order to be checked in to keep beds open just in case because of COVID protocols. So she calls at about 1030. They tell her to start they tell her to start timing stuff and keeping a really watchful eye on it. And when she thinks that they're getting, you know, a minute long every five minutes to start heading to the hospital, because we tell them all we live about 25 minutes away. So around 1130, Mia just tells me, like, I think it's time that we start heading there. So we pack the car, go to the hospital and 
there's a check-in process where she had to go in first because I wasn't allowed in until she's completely checked in. So she goes in, they start taking all these, you know, measurements and heart rate and plugging her into all the machines and everything. And I had to go wait in some random parking lot until they called me at about 1230 and said, okay, she's at four centimeters, um, dilated. And so you guys are checked in. So come on up, go park, bring your bags up. All right, cool. Cause the whole process it is, it's like a little mini trip, a little foray, a staycation, if you will. You're at the hospital for like, you know, at least three days, sometimes four or five. So yeah, I head up. We're in this little tiny, she's in this little tiny room that she checked into. And I'm going like, oh man, this is the room. This is going to stink. We were at UCLA. They're like, oh no, no, no. We're going to move you to an actual birthing suite. And so we walk down the hallway into this, what would be like a very nice hotel room just with you know, a bunch of medical equipment everywhere. I have a couch to sleep on, not a very comfortable couch, but that's okay. I have a little nightstand that I can put my laptop on and watch movies and stuff. She's got a TV and uh, one of those, you know, beds that, the hospital bed, obviously. And uh, yeah, we just kind of settled in. The nurse immediately was like, well, okay, so, you, you know, you're contracting, and but it's going to be a while. You're only at four centimeters. So, you know, do you want to do a morphine shot right now to kind of catch your last nap? Because tomorrow is going to be a really long day. And mind you, this is at like 1.30 in the morning at this point. And so Mia's like, yes, morphine. I'm going like, wait, what? Morphine? I'm like, that, that, that doesn't affect the baby. They're like, nah, it doesn't enter the placenta. It's good. It's just uh, something to help uh, Mia go to sleep and to not feel the contractions because they'll get more intense. So she takes the morphine shot. Boom. Little four hour, five hour cat nap. I catch some sleep. I'm watching some kind of Marvel movie and fall asleep on the couch. And when we wake up the next morning, they're like, okay, this is great. You're at like almost at six centimeters. You're at like 5.9 centimeters. So um, this is when a lot of people would get their epidural. And so if you want to do an epidural, now's the time to consider it. And so we kind of talked amongst ourselves for a little bit and we're like, yeah, let's do it. Get the epidural. So epidural fella comes in. This is probably, I don't know, six in the morning ish or something comes in and Mia thinks that like an epidural takes a while to kick in or something. I don't know where she got that information, but as soon as he puts the needle in and squirts that stuff in there, like she is numb from the waist down and she's like, Oh, Whoa, I didn't realize that this worked so fast. And like, yes. So at that point you're just stuck in bed all day and they start giving you, um, this stuff called Pitocin, which helps the contraction speed up because they really want the contraction. I can't remember exactly what it is, but they want them coming like every two minutes or something like that, or every five, I don't know. So everybody's hooked up to these monitors. They're watching the contractions and they have the baby's heart rate going. They have Mia's heart rate. Everybody's, you know, they're checking blood pressure all the time, just making sure that everybody's healthy and happy. You know, we had this great nurse who checked us in named Kelsey when she got off work, we had another great nurse come in. They're on these like 12 hour shifts, you know, so we actually ended up seeing like three different nurses and labor lasted almost exactly 24 hours. Now that sounds crazy because like, oh my God, I was in labor for 24 hours. I always thought I would hear these nightmare stories of like, oh yeah, I was in labor for 51 hours. I was in labor for labor for this long, whatever. I would go, wow, I can't believe that you were having to sit there and like be screaming and sweating like you see in the movies, like and pushing for fucking 51 hours, that's insane, but no, labor, she was in labor for 24 hours, we were just sitting there chilling, watching Netflix, I'm watching Netflix, going down to the cafeteria, eating food, and just hanging out, she's watching TV, the nurses just come in and check every once in a while, it was 
super chill. I'm like, we're, we're supposed to be a one and done family. We just want to have one kid, but I'm like, Hey man, that was a nice little break. That was a nice little vacation. Maybe we should have another one just so we could go chill at UCLA hospital for a few more days. Cause it was, it was nice. And so anyway, yeah, they, they're giving her the Pitocin. They're upping the dosage at different intervals during the day to try and get this guy moving more. Because once you get the epidural, the dilation just starts to take a really long time. And you're wanting to get to 10 centimeters before you start pushing, right? After you get to six, it should be like there's one more centimeter every two hours or something like that. Who knows? I don't remember. It is a lot of fucking math and stuff. After a nice chill day... They tell you like, all right, look, when you feel like the contractions are making you feel like you need to poop, then it's time to start pushing, right? So around 9 p.m. on Friday, April the 2nd, Mia looks at me. We're just alone in the room. She goes, did they say that it needs to feel like you need to poop the whole time or poop only when the contractions come? I said, Mia, I don't know. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. You have a freaking intercom system in your hand ask one of the nurses. And so the nurse comes back in. At this point, we've been there so long that now our original nurse, Kelsey, is back on duty, which is great because we just loved her. And Mia says, you know, it feels like I have to poop during the contraction. She goes, all right, well, fuck, it's time to push. She probably didn't say fuck. I added that. All right, it's time to push. And so we're like, oh, snap. All right. I don't know. It was surprising to me to learn that really the nurses are the ones that carry the delivery the whole time. Like the doctors just sort of check in. These nurses, they really know how to do this like the back of their hand. And they're only calling for doctors in case of an emergency, really. And so, I mean, at one point I was asking Kelsey, like over under a thousand, how many births have you taken a part of? And she was like, oh, easily over a thousand. I was like, oh, easily. I was like, well, what about like over under 5,000. And she's like, yeah, probably over 5,000. And I'm like, holy smokes, 5,000 births. So, you know, they just know how to do this. They've literally gotten their 10,000 hours in. So yeah, we start pushing at around nine. And after having such a chill ass day, a chill ass, like, I don't know, 19 hours or something. This is when it becomes like what you see in the movies. This is the scene where, you know, everybody's trying to put wet rags on their foreheads and people are coaching, come on, push, push, baby, you can do it, you can do it. The nurse is going, come on, you gotta, you push, I can see his head, that type of shit. Like, it gets all intense, right? And I was like, oh, this is the, like, real labor part, the pushing. And now, I didn't know that you're only, you can only really push for a four-hour window. And once you get close to having pushed for four hours, they give you a C-section. And, you know, Mia and I were trying to avoid that. Her specifically, she really didn't want to have surgery. And so, yeah, we start pushing. It's taking longer than it should. Some people start pushing and it comes out, that baby comes out in like two or three pushes. Um, With her, we were pushing for a good, I don't know, hour and a half when she was starting to get really exhausted. And at that point, you could kind of see the top of his head in the canal, which was crazy. I was like kind of scared to look down there, not gonna lie. Uh, (laughs) But I looked down and I was like, babe, I can see the hair on his head down there. Like, we just gotta get him out. We gotta get him crowning, you know? And she's trying. A doctor comes in and is like, hmm, well, he seems to like not really be wanting to come out. And it's like, as I'm watching you push, it looks like you're like flexing some wrong muscles. You really just got to push with only your abdominal muscles. You need to loosen up all of your legs, loosen up everything else. And so we spend the next half hour sort of pushing with a new strategy and, and really trying to 
just push down with the abs and work hard, whatever. And it turns out that she has kind of a, a narrow birthing canal. You know, at one point they check to see if maybe he's twisted or something. Like, why isn't his head just sliding out? Because all of his vitals were normal. Everything was good. And they're seeing like maybe maybe his head is like in the wrong position. He needs to twist. You could probably hear him. I've got him strapped to my chest right now. So they do another ultrasound. They're like, oh, no, he's in the right spot. Like the soft spot's right where it should be. Like, we just got to keep trying. So Mia is getting so exhausted by this point because now we're like two hours in. So at a certain point, it's starting to feel between she and I like maybe this isn't going to happen. Maybe we're going to have to get a C-section. So I'm talking to her and kind of trying to advocate for her like, hey, if you're too tired to do this, we can get him out. Like, you need to let me know. I just want you and the baby to be healthy and survive. Like, that's all I want. And if it, if it takes surgery to do that, let's do it. Um, what do you want to do? And she's like, yeah, yeah, ask them. And I'm like, all right. So I'm asking the doctors like, look, can you guys be honest with us and just tell us like, should we be thinking about surgery at this point or should we keep pushing if if he's not like making any progress? And they're like, well, I wouldn't suggest surgery quite yet. Um, let's give it like another half an hour. But if the same thing is happening in the next half an hour, then we should yeah think about moving on. And, and, uh, at that point, Mia's so fucking tired and has pregnancy brain. She's like, well, so wait, if we go four hours of pushing and he doesn't come out, like, what do we do? Do we just, uh, do we just like reset and try again in the morning after some sleep or something? And the doctors look at her like, well, no, the closer you get to four hours, the more dangerous it is for you and the baby. So like, if it gets that close, we would need to do surgery, but we would do surgery before that. And we're all kind of like giggling about it. Like, haha, what a question. Anyway, they say, keep trying for half an hour. The fear I think of having a C-section really like lights a fire in her ass. I swear no more than like two contractions later, She's pushing and boom, his head comes out and he's crowned. She's crowning at this point. And it was, I don't know. Yeah. Miraculous It's the miracle of life, man. It's everything that they say it is. Uh, I had a full rush of emotions, like seeing it was so wild and she's like exhausted, exasperated at this point. She's squeezing my hand and asking me like, is, is he out? Is, is his head really out? Is he out? And I said, his head is out me. I'm like, it's out. You're, you're doing it like you're doing it. You know, mind you, she wasn't feeling any of this the whole time because the epidural. So she's not like screaming in pain or agony. It's just tiring. It's like running a fucking marathon. Like her whole body, every muscle in her body is contracting and flexing. And it is the hardest workout that you could ever do in your life, you know? So yeah, the head's out. And all of a sudden the hospital room becomes like a fucking NASCAR pit stop. I blink my eye and all of a sudden there's four doctors in the room with surgical gowns on and rubber gloves, like fully sleeved up. Kelsey, the nurse is in there still helping. And the bed that we just thought was a bed, they're like, okay, we're going to pull the bottom off the bed. All of a sudden it's converted into a chair with stirrups and the bottoms dropped out. And now she's just sitting there with her knees up and the baby's head sticking out, which is fucking crazy. Boom. One more contraction, one more big push that baby's out. You know how in the movies they always show that like alien baby with all the slime on it and shit or, or whatever. I didn't even see that. They were so fast. They had him out. They wipe him down and put him on her chest in two seconds flat. Like he's out. He's on her chest. He's already clean. He looks like a normal baby, not weird blue color, nothing like he's just boom. There he is. And I'm, she's, Oh my God. I'm, I'm like, Oh my fucking God. I'm crying. And he's just laying there. And he didn't come out crying. He just 
had his eyes open and he's looking around. That made me very nervous. They're like putting the little suction thing that you like suck boogers out of a baby's nose or whatever. They've got that thing in his throat to like clear his esophagus. He starts breathing, but he doesn't cry. And that scares the shit out of me. But they're like, I'm like, is he supposed to cry? Is he going to cry? And they're like, nah, he's fine. He's breathing. Look at him. He's good. He's just looking around. He came out chill. He just came out looking like an old soul that's, uh, I don't know, was ready to be out here. And that was it. He didn't cry for a while. He was just chilling. It got a little scary for a bit. Mia was atonic, I think, which means like her uterus didn't contract down fast enough. So she was bleeding quite a bit. And that was scary because while she's doing skin to skin with him and um, he's just out there on her chest. And I think he like rooted immediately and maybe started breastfeeding pretty quickly Um, while he's doing that. I can see how bloody the gloves are on these doctors and they're all kind of being very quiet, which is never a good sign. And they start stitching and. I don't know. There looked to be some, there looked to be some light concern, you know, and I'm trying to tell Mia and, and, and hype her up like, Hey, everything's fine. Everything's gonna be fine. We're good. We're good. Panicking on the inside straight up. And she's going, no, no, no. I know everything's fine. Everything's fine. But it turns out later she tells me like, yeah, I could see the reflection in the doctor's glasses of like how much blood I was losing. Hey, oh, good bird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, yeah, it turns out that she was like fully panicking as well, but we're both just trying to play it cool. Like, oh no, no, we're good. We're in good hands. We were in good hands. Everything was fine. Um, she got stitched up and everything was good. Yeah. While they're doing that and kind of handling everything down there, I have the baby and do skin to skin on my chest. And that was it. That's how we had a baby. We stayed there for two nights overnight, brought him home on Sunday, the fourth. Thankfully, my mom was in town helping my grandmother do her taxes once we were going to the hospital, she came to watch the dog and stayed at the house for two days. And then she um, came back, got to meet Ozzy. That's his name, Ozzy. His name is Ozzy Shaner. She came back and got to meet Ozzy and hold him. And then the next day she flew out. Buddy, I'm trying to record an intro here, bud. <laughs> and yeah, that was it. All's well. And now, as of a couple days ago, he's already a month old. It goes by really fast. Thankfully, he's been, um, overall, I would say a pretty chill baby that is taking it pretty easy on us. After, um, hearing stories about my little nephew, Wyatt, shout out Wyatt. He was much harder on his parents than, than Ozzy is being on us, thankfully. Um, and I don't know what that means, but hopefully that's just a sign of things to come and that he'll just remain a chill dude. That's my hopes. So yeah, I'm a dad. I'm a dad. I'll tell you guys more about it as we move forward. Um, (laughs) Baby noses. So this week on the show, our first show back, we have a gentleman named Aerospace, like I mentioned at the beginning. Uh, Aerospace is a rapper out of the DMV, DC to be specific, who has been making music for a while. And I just got hip to him at the top of the year. I really like everything that I've heard from him. I like I like his tapes. I don't know how to pronounce them still. I'm not going to try. But everything he's been putting out is fantastic. I had a good time talking to him. He's a very interesting dude. Has lived through a lot. Has dealt with a lot. 
you could tell by his music that his brain works in an advanced way. And in conversation, it's the same thing. It moves about a million miles a minute and he jumps kind of from story to story. So the conversation moves sort of the way that his music does in a lot of non sequiturs and um, snippets and tidbits of his life. But I think we get a little bit of an idea of who he is. He also mentioned to me that it's very special to him that this episode is coming out on the week of Mother's Day because his biological mother and his stepmother have both unfortunately passed away. He speaks about them a lot in his music and they're clearly very important to him. So uh, I'm glad that that little bit of kismet is taking place. And, you know, it's also cool that I get to talk about the birth of my son on the intro of the episode during Mother's Day week, my wife's first Mother's Day. So without further ado... Let's get into this conversation with Aerospace. Thank you for coming through. Uh, we had to plan it on a on a dime. Because you're here for a certain amount of time, and I'm only a certain amount of time left before I'm a father, so we had to squeeze this out. Well, I don't know. We had to squeeze this in. <laughs> squeeze this out. Yes, not squeeze it out. <laughs> we had to squeeze it in, and I'm here checking my phone because maybe my wife will text and say we got to go to the hospital. But anyways, well, first and foremost, congratulations. Yeah, thanks, bro. New father. That's it. First time. But yeah, so where are you out here from? Washington D.C. Um, I was born on the borderline of D.C. and Maryland, but I'll say it's still DC because Tacoma Park is like nice little suburb of that. But I was born there, um, raised and grew up in Southeast DC and Lanham, Maryland, which is like in PG County. Maryland. Okay, yeah, yeah. What do you consider home? DC. DC. A hundred percent. Just like the city of DC, not a specific area of it. That's. I mean, I'll say Northeast and Southeast. Yeah. That's where I've spent the majority of my time. Yeah. Right. Right. How'd your family end up in DC? I, I would love to tell you that, but I don't know enough about them. Really? Yeah. But I will tell you that um, my father's from Jamaica, my mother's from Grenada. So they like, my Grenadian family went to New York and the Jamaican family came to D.C. And so when you say you don't know enough about them, what, like, were you raised with other members of your family or? I was raised by my stepmother. Okay. Yeah. Super complicated if you would like to know about We it. love complication. Let's go. Yeah. Um. So boom. My dad decided he wanted to hit the yeah while he had a wife and had me in New York. And uh, that wife ended up taking care of me because my dad is on some bullshit. Okay, wait. First off, what's hit the yeah? That's some D.C. slang? That's really some D.C. shit. Yeah. Like, we say yeah. Like, yeah is like... Yeah, it can be used for, like contextually for so many different yeah. things. You know what? I had um, uh, a guest on a few years ago, and, a, and a, the episode never came out. It was with um, Kilo Letitia. Yeah. And she- Kilo. Get, she's so sick. She's from the area. Yeah. Shout out Kilo. She's so sick and super cool. Her whole thing, like she gave me a shirt at the time that said, got yeah. Hey. And it was, I was like, oh, this must be some like DC shit or DMV shit. For sure. So, all right. Let's go through that slow again. Your dad has you with your mom. But then he gets remarried. My father was married already. He was already married. Mm -hmm. And he went to New York, met my mother. They Oh. And then he had me. And brought you back to DC or but like you stayed with the stepmother who was his actual wife. Yeah. But he wasn't really present there either. So. Wow. So you're like So here's the thing. It's like some real it's like real shit. So a lot of people from other countries sometimes will obviously will come to America trying to marry for the green card. Yeah. So this 
the way it was explained to me, like this was a green card situation. Oh. And you know, they ended up, you know, obviously, recipes. My stepmom, she ended up getting involved, like really, really. And he ended up whoop, you know. So your stepmom is the one that you speak about a lot on the records who passed away. Yes. My actually, I speak about them uh, both together, but it's mostly my real mom. Your real mom passed away too. Man, when? Two thousand and eight. Man, that's all right. We got a lot to get into then. Yeah. Because we're starting off already real tough. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> was your dad in your life um, at all? Nah. No. I mean, it was like he dipped in and dipped out. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a weird thing because like people care about appearances a lot. And, yeah. it, and it felt more so like he would dip in whenever it would be like a, a, a shot to, you know, his overall perception, I say, because yeah. like he was a pastor for a while. Oh, so it's like, ah, damn, this kid. But like, I still got to take care of this kid. But like, this kid's around the family, but not around the family. It's like, man, this shit is so complicated. This right. shit I just found out like just last year about my mom. Your biological mother's in New York. Was in New York, yeah. Was in New York. Did she move down to D.C. eventually? Yeah, she did. To be closer just to you? And yeah. that's how I ended up going to Tacoma Park. Did your stepmom and real mom get along pretty well? No. No. I mean, they met up on a... Like, from the little bits that I remember from my childhood, they there there had to be a transaction at certain points, but then it, it got really complicated because later on I was told that I didn't even identify my mom as my mom. So, like, uh, I would be brought to my mom and I would cry because I didn't know who it was. That's what I was going to ask if, yeah. like, you had a preference of one over the other and yeah. that must have hurt one of one of them's feelings, yeah. So. And then it shifted when I got older because I ended up learning the, the truth of everything. Yeah, so you're like, oh, you're not my real mom type shit? Nah, it was, it was more so kind of like... Uh, so, like, when they both passed is when I, like, I... But I was like, let, let me figure this out because a lot of this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then as I started piecing it together, it started clicking. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense that this is over here and this is over here. Okay, so my separation from my mother was a lot. It was also the circumstances, but it was also me at a certain age. Yeah. Because I, it was like, why weren't you here? And then I got older and then I ended up finding out from other family 10 years after she passed that she did want me. So it was like, oh, damn, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. So it was it, it kind of like weird like that. And then I, and then my stepmother was like, there, there was an involvement there, but it was like she, man, it gets crazy because it's like, okay, so the medical system obviously is really fucked up in relation to African-Americans. Yeah, like, absolutely. It, it's fucking terrible to us. Right. She worked at the hospital in VA. She worked in the psych ward, which is how, like, I grew up a lot in the psych ward, just staying with her sometimes. Okay. But- she had lupus and other complications, so that's how she ended up passing. This is your real mom? My real mom and my stepmom from the same thing. My stepmother... You're, you're, both of them had lupus? One had lupus, one had cancer. Oh, my gosh. How old are you as you're going through them being sick? Uh, my stepmom told me that the first memory I have of that was I was four, and she was like, you know, I'm going to die one day. And I was like, no, you're not. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. It's crazy because I learned a lot of it very early. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, oh, I'm getting like shimmying into this. It was like, I was born and it was like, boom, 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 boom. Like, crazier story. I was born with my vocal cords collapsed. So I actually was supposed to be a mute and it turned out that I wasn't. And then how do those end up healing themselves? Just did. Wow. Well, that's lucky. Very. Yeah. And then I ended up being a rapper, which is funny. Yeah. So you needed those in the long run. Something like that. For sure. <laughs> I'm going to guide you through this because it seems like you have a, a lot of um, life that you've been processing for a long time. And you can hear it in your music that you're processing a lot of life through the music as well. Obviously, it's a means of catharsis for you. Mm -hmm. It's very emotional. It's very um, uh, 
I mean, it's spiritual, it's philosophical, like it's everything. It's all these deep thoughts. That's what your music is about, I feel like, right? Um, and so it sounds like you came into the world in a situation full of conflict and you've been trying to figure out the world via conflict the entire time, huh? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So when your biological mom moves to D.C. and you have to live with her sometimes, how does life change for you? Like, do you have memories of that? Yeah. Uh, she had a friend named Ray. Yeah. Uh, uh, then he ended up becoming my stepfather. Okay. Um, He was kind of weird. Yeah. That, that That's what I remember of him. But I remember the two places we lived. You know, um, one of the places we lived was in New Hampshire Avenue, which is in Tacoma Park. And the other spot was by PG Mall which is another spot, like, it's kind of, like, adjacent to the area. It's, like, Hyattsville, and then there's, like, you know, the Prince George, right? it's like, but, but it was over there. Does Ray become a father figure for you? No. Or, okay, yeah, it no, a, he, it he's just, a, like, a dude in your life. He's, it wasn't even in my life, you know what I'm saying? Because the way that it was was kind of, like, I was getting passed around, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's currency at this point. Did you have other siblings? I do. Did you grow up around them? Man, uh, then there's that. So I have an older sister. She's in Grenada right now. Yeah. I have another sister that's on my father's side, and she's in I somewhere in, like, the Midwest. So you don't see them very frequently? Or? I don't ever. I've never met either of them. Oh, you've not met them? No. Have you guys corresponded at all? Yeah. I've yeah. spoken to both of them. Yeah. Word. So, I don't know. Childhood sounds confusing, right? It was. It was. Yeah, very did did school bring any sort of like normalcy for you or like that schedule or stability? No, I, it, it's weird to say that time is linear because a lot of people live in the past. Yeah, you know, so like, I think I was just kind of bouncing around like what felt like different dimensions growing up because I like not just like dealing with mental illness, but it was like I was living different lives. I was at school, yeah, which was one life. Huh. Uh, outside of school, like I mean, like just being in Southeast was a different life. Living with my stepmother was a different life. Seeing my father was a different life. Seeing my mother was a different life. Going to church was a different life. You know, it was like every, it was like I was different people at any given point in time. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that do to your psyche? I'm used to it. The weirdest thing is like a lot of times they think that people that have been brought up in chaos like loathe peace and that isn't the truth. Like I love like isolating and being by myself. You know, yeah. that's how I made volume three. And that's how I made like a good amount of my projects, which is being by myself. And I really like, you know. But um, when you're when you're dealing with it at a young age, like so many different types of traumas, like this this is just kind of like it's crazy to say, but this is very surface level. Yeah, you know. So like growing up with my stepmother working at the psych ward at the VA hospital, yeah, made it so that I was able to understand things about myself even if I didn't. So it's like when she would tell me certain things about different people and how she would handle them and how they would have conversations and what would happen, like it made it easier. So it's like I was like as I was absorbing this information, my brain was finding out a way to like dissect it and, and apply it to my life if it ever there was a chance where something occurred. So yeah. if like I had like an episode of something, my brain would come up with like a scroll of different things that I can like insert to make it so that it wouldn't go too far. So in learning about all of these mental disorders at the psych ward that your mother worked at, do you think that you formed uh, like a sort of hypochondria or like a mental illness hypochondria as a child? Like, oh, I hope that I don't end up like this guy or like this guy. I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Remember, like, OK, so yeah. remember we were talking about structure and you're talking yeah. about school. So there has to be some type of like, even though like all this you know, time is blah, 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 blah. We still perceive it as one, two, three, four, five. That's it. Right. So as I'm going through that, there is structures of 
uh, church. Yeah. That was the main one was Christianity. And even though I identified it, but to a certain point, it created a baseline to mm-hmm. work from, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm a type of person that I like to learn in mm-hmm. the sense where, like, everybody to some degree, like, it, 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 it's a there's a certain, like, anxiety that may come from being wrong. But I like learning things. So as a result of that, like, I seek out, like, oh, man, it could be this. But let me ask someone who is significantly more well-versed in this. It's like, this isn't, for me, it's I've gone to different therapists and different people to talk, like, hey, what's this? Like, what's this like? Like, what's this? Yeah. You know, I think one of the one of the most, like, you know, pick to ice type of, like, sessions I had was, like, nine hours straight. Uh-huh. So it was like. Why? So when you said you said something about mental illness earlier, are you talking about your own mental illness? Yeah. So what, what did you find out? Uh, bipolar, borderline, panic, anxiety, um, bunch of shit. Man, you got a lot going on. Yeah. That what age do you find that out? I found out last year that I've been, I've been technically diagnosed with depression since I was fourteen. Yeah. With manic depression. Yeah. Yeah. I just found it out in different times of my life. You know, like I've been to the hospital and you know over the period of my life, like learning different things. I don't know, man. It's, it's weird because like. People don't understand that mental illness is a, it spills out sometimes, but for the most part, it's an internal thing. So right. people don't know that you're even, it's like, oh, you're normal. But like, nah, man, like I've had multiple friends that have committed suicide. Yeah. And you would have never thought unless you were dealing with it yourself. While you're bouncing around from place to place to place, is is there anyone that's like this outlier family member where you're like, oh, this person is like my safe space? Like, did you have a grandmother or a, or a cousin or something or somebody that you could like really lean on when everybody else was using you as as a pawn in some weird chess game? Like, did you have somebody that you could really really trust? Uh, yes and no. Yeah. Um, yes because I had a cousin named well, I have a cousin named Sabrina. Shout out Sabrina. Yeah. Um, on my mother's side, and that's who my mother said that we were going to always be the closest, which yeah. we were. She was the cousin that after not speaking for 10 years, I was like, yo, man, can you tell me story of my mom? She was the one who had reached out to me. Yeah, And yeah. we had spoken. So, um, But that was just only a, a small bracket of time. Yeah. So, like, for the majority of it was, like, anyone else outside of that, mostly church friends. And so the church— um, Church is weird, dude. Yeah, ch- I, I grew up as a Catholic. I, what did you grow up as? Uh, Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah. Uh, and this was because your dad was a preacher? You'll be surprised, but um, Grenada is mostly was mostly Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. So then this is your mom that was taking you my to— My mom, my stepmom. Yeah, both of them were Seventh-day. My father as well. As a kid, were you drawn to it, though? Because I'll tell you, as a kid, I thought Catholicism was so dope until I was like 13. And I was like, no, I fucking hate Catholicism, <laughs> you know? I won't say I was drawn to it. Yeah. I feel like it was more so like, what is this? I like, I want to understand this more. Yeah. And I feel like my mind kind of adapted to the, the, you know, it's like to some degree for some people, it's brainwashing. You know, yeah. I like, people will tell me they'll, they'll believe whatever they want. It, it's fine. But to me, that's what it feels like yeah and was in my life personally right so you know it 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 again whereas it provided structure it also was like i have to do this so i'm now adapting to this way of thinking because this is all i know right and then i started learning more and then things were happening that were contradicting the things i was learning and i was like then you get some people that were like, oh, it's the people, it's not the doctrine. And then there's some people was like, the doctrine is incomplete. And then there's some people that's like, well, this person rewrote the doctrine. And it's like, dude, 
stop. <laughs> you know, and my brain was doing that very early. Wow. So were you like a gifted student? Were you an early reader? I think so. You could brag on yourself. You seem smart. That's why I'm asking. You and you, but you also seem like your brain moves a million miles a minute. It really does. Yeah. So what were you like as a child then? Um, as far as annoying, you were annoying. I was like, oh, oh my god, you want a hug? Yay, happy. That was fucking annoying to me. Yeah. Looking at me now, but my mother, my stepmother, loved that me. Yeah. And even like other adults that were like there. So what? You what do you mean? You're like happy go lucky? <sighs> yeah. yeah. I feel like my my brain tried its hardest to protect me, so it kept me at a certain baseline. It was like it, it didn't it took until like I think last year for my brain to actually download everything. Why last year? Because last year I couldn't avoid the truth of my life. In what sense? I'm gonna go into as much detail as I can without going into too much detail. Yeah. But um look it up. There's a school called Miracle Meadows. Uh huh. It's the most fucked up facility in the United States, probably if not, if one of, if not the most. And I say this because um, I went there uh-huh. and I was there for a year and a half. There's a lot of us that were there. A lot of us got abused. It's when you're really a kid. Up. I went there at 13. Is it like a boarding school? It was uh, marketed as a reform school for at-risk youth where they can grow. Meanwhile, we're out digging stumps with axes at two in the morning. Yeah. Scrubbing the floor with toothbrushes. Like like prison shit. No, like actually though. Yeah. So it's it's really fucked up. It's obviously it's closed. It's permanently closed. But Yeah. Well, so before we even get to Miracle Meadows then, let's get to like how you ended up at Miracle Meadows. I was angry. A- angry. I, I, and I hate calling it that because yeah. I feel like that's unfair to kids. Yeah. And looking at myself now as an adult, it's like that's it's unfair at 11 and 12 to just call me angry. I'm not just angry. There was a series of things that have been occurring for 11 years of my you life. You were protecting yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, oh, we can't control this kid. He's just angry. He's getting suspended. How was the anger projecting itself? For School. I, yeah. Were you throwing like... T- tantrums or fits or like or violent um spurts or something like what was going on i was just really uh sensitive yeah you know and when i would when i flew off the handle i flew off the handle yeah it was like really bad i i remember having a couple kids like that in my elementary school where it was like the littlest thing and and they would like there was one kid who would kick his shoes off and fucking throw them at the lights and shit and try to like break glass and stuff it was wild i was throwing desks yeah he would throw desks as well yeah i was that kid and it and it never made sense to me because i didn't have that internal turmoil like that so i would watch and go like, man, why the fuck can't this kid calm down? Isn't it weird hearing how at like I'm also that kid that's like going and hugging everybody? Yeah, that's what my brain was like. Yeah, that's what my brain is like. But now, so I like I'm much calmer now. What, what was setting you off? I think it, uh, man, my brain is all it's always active, and I say my brain because I as as much as I know that I'm in control of my brain, and my brain is me. My brain also makes it so that I breathe without my control. Yeah, so. It is an entity of its own that I feel deserved to be respected. That's mm-hmm, just me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But my because of the way that my brain just kind of like intakes information, mm-hmm. it makes it a little bit simpler to kind of just like exist mm-hmm. a certain way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like I understand that there's rules and there's regulations, and I, I but seeking the knowledge of certain things makes it so that it always brings me back. Right. You know, like I like I always know that I'm here. Like first time I took acid terrible experience but i once everything started moving i just held the wall because i i can't like i know my hands 
my feeling will never betray me. And uh-huh. I, I, if I feel something, I know it's there. Mm-hmm. So even though my eyes are deceiving me, I know my my feelings aren't. Yeah. But what does that have to do with the with the the stuff at school, like going off the rails at school? Because anytime I felt anything, which was literally anything, if I see some kids that are there with their family, I would get sad. It could trigger me if they oh, say something. something or as small I'm, as that. Anything. Yeah. And so back then, you didn't know how to like tap in with like touching the metaphorical wall, if you will, to like center yourself again. I, it was like how I didn't yeah. even know there was one. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. How would you pass your time as a kid in your free time? Like, did you, were you involved in any activities? Were you drawing? Were you reading? Were you, what were you doing? Uh, playing piano, drumming, writing raps, and uh, sketching. You, you started off taking music lessons young? Piano um, and drums. What age? Maybe like 10, 11. Yeah. And did, you, did you love it? Did you like it? Or did piano, you feel like I you were piano. forced to? I, the piano was, I felt kind of forced to, even though I love piano more than drums now. Really? Like I, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like, I love drums, like, a lot. Even though I'm, that's, I, I've seen that, you play breaks on Twitter and shit. Your drumming's good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like, I, like, drums is a, it's a, it's the two sides, right? Yeah. The drums gets out the, the, the aggression. Yeah. The piano gets out the expression. Right. Even though aggression is a form of expression through drumming. Like, I can kind of, Piano is percussive, but it gives me a melody so I can tell a story of how my feelings are. Right. Versus my drums, like, just... Ah. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying, though, is, like, um, you're able to express more of the emotion on the piano and just, and just like, yeah, that the drums are visceral. You know what I mean? Like, they just make sense. And, like, it's, like, metal. I love metal. Yeah. Were you... <laughs> forgive me for asking you this. This is, is going to be a blunt question, but, like, were it. you, like, the weird kid in your class that kids were, like, scared to hang out with and shit? No. No. I, like, it... it I was always known as different. Yeah. But like, I don't freak anyone out. You didn't freak anyone out. <laughs> not to my knowledge. So not the weird kid, not the kid that freaked anybody out. I don't even, you I, just cruise. Shit, man. I don't even know. Cause yeah. I, I was like, I was getting beat up like everyone else or beating up someone like everyone else. So that's the thing like, is that if you don't know if you were the weird kid, you might've been the weird kid. See, <laughs> that may be it. Hey, yo. And you know what? That's cool because I probably was. Yeah. Were you getting bullied a lot or like beat up a lot? You just said you were having a fight a lot. Was that something that you had to deal with on a? Yeah, because you know, it's con- I say it's consequences of anger. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it wasn't like someone was always starting something with me. Yeah, I I, I believe that would be very narcissistic. I believe someone was always starting something with me. That wasn't the case. Like there were times where it's just like, are right, you triggering me? I'm pissed off, and now we're fighting. That's hard, man. Um, and so then twelve, thirteen comes around. Your people are having trouble controlling your anger and so you get sent off to this boarding school which is how far away from your actual home you know that song remember by mac miller i don't know um he the the lyrics are kind of like i remember when we were just kids yeah and he talks about being in west virginia yeah right and it was in west virginia it was in west virginia yeah so that's like a, a pretty far trek from home yeah it's like five hours so nobody was coming to visit rarely and Very you got rarely. one phone call a week and if you got in trouble then you didn't get it jesus christ what's it like when you get to that school uh i don't i'll tell you i don't remember much but it was blocked really, a lot really traumatic. Out, probably. yeah i i okay so i got there and i remember um i remember being brought there and my stepmom's like yeah you know you're gonna you're gonna pay for your work you're gonna do this you're gonna grow you're gonna get better you're gonna blah and i'm like okay cool and I wake up on the top bunk in a large room with a bunch of dudes. Mm-hmm. And dude, it's like, yo, wake up, wake up, yelling, wake up, wake up. And the Caribbean accent, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Six in the morning. Yeah. And we're all waking up. And that started my day. 
And yeah. I was like, this is different, you know? Right. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was really fucked up, man. Like, even, like, a lot of the credits we got for homeschool didn't count for anything. Yeah. Oh, you were homeschooling before that? No, I was homeschooled in the facility. Oh, okay, okay. When you're at Miracle Meadows, it's, like, super regimented, like, military style or what? Uh, man, it's it's yes and no. It is scheduled out. You have certain things. It's very Christian-based. But it's just really fucked up because, I mean, who's there? Like, oh, you're talking about psych you know psychiatry but you don't have a degree in anything you don't know what the fuck you're talking about oh you're teaching this class but you don't have a degree in this class like it it was it was like it was a mosh pit of a bunch of different ideas and a bunch of different people and it was just weird man so what were some of the atrocities that you witnessed that, Um, that got that place eventually closed down um, all types of abuse. Yeah. You know, like sexual, physical, mental, oh, yeah. um, physical. Like, I watch a lot of my friends get beat up. Is it, old, it was an all-boys school? No. Oh, there's boys and girls? Yes. And living in different, like... Two different sides of the campus, but yeah. we would come together okay. whenever, you know, there was meals or there was wreck or we had... Sometimes it was, like, mixed for classes, but mm-hmm. um, eventually it ended up having split campus because, mm. you know... Yeah, because shit would happen. Yeah, but it was you know it 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 wasn't just students obviously right, and we were all kids for the most part. So and how long are you there for? Year and a half. And and then what happens? I think after that, I I went to uh, another boarding school, which was a little bit more lenient, but it was super racist. Oh wow! Yeah. What state is that in? Well, actually, both of them were super racist. But, yeah. Um. That the second one was in Maryland. What was the racial makeup or like the sociological makeup of Miracle Meadows? Were, were you like one of the few black students, or were there a lot of black students? No, it was a lot of black students, and it and all white staff or something. Oh, it gets even more fucked up. Yeah. It was, but it was a mix, but majority black students. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot, uh, some uh, Latin kids mixed in there, um, and then you have. Um, some black staff, majority black staff, but like Caribbean black. Yeah. And then you have some white, and they were doing missionary work, right? Uh-huh. And then you had a, a sprinkling some white staff, and it was a uh, plantation owned by two white people. Oh wow, it was a plantation. I, that's what I would call it. And so you guys were like having to do farm work and shit. We literally we couldn't leave. If we left, we would either get uh, kidnapped or killed by the racists around, or the police would bring us back. Man, that is sounding very, very dark. It's extremely dark. It's sounding like a horror movie. Might as well be. And and a real like flashback to I don't that sounds like Jim Crow era shit. This is now when I it's crazy because going up a little later, right? A lot yeah. of times when I would like even if I get into interracial relationships and like some of that would come out, not yeah. even just me, but like they would do some of their triggering and I'm trying to explain like, yo, this is real. And they're like, What are you talking about? I'm like, dog. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yo, we can look at the news and we can see what's happening, but like I actually live through this. Here is the proof. What else do you need? And then you learn some people just don't have empathy. Right. Well, what what is the catalyst that makes you um, be able to get out of Miracle Meadows? Did, does something catastrophic happen, or, or do you just kind of graduate from there? I'm glad that you said this. Remember how earlier I was talking about how uh, uh, my father was a person that, like, you know, his appearances? Would dip in and out, yeah. This was the time. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man, if I get him out, I'll look good. So that's okay. what he did. But okay. he always, now here's the kicker, right? Mm-hmm. I got out when I was still under 18. Before 18, once you're in there, unless you complete the program, you're still eligible to go back. So if you mess up yeah. and your parents are like, we're not dealing with this, which happened to a couple of kids there that were just genuinely left there. Yeah. Um, that they'll take you back and you stay there until you're 18. 
So it was like the looming threat of, yeah, you're going to go back if yeah. you do this and if you do that. So your dad pulls you out and puts you in another boarding school? Mm-hmm. And what's that boarding school like? Even worse or better? Uh, man, I don't know. It was like that. It was like, wow, we weren't getting beaten and molested and fucked up in this school but yeah. like i it's really racist yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like i but i like i the friendships that i had like it, it worked you know what i'm saying yeah. it was in a way where it was like still within a bracket where it wasn't nearly as catastrophic as that yeah so i could still like hang on with friends we could still do dumb shit was, what's the new school called highland view academy um they all tried to keep me in the Christian structure, yeah. even though I went to multiple public schools. That place um, is also a Christian school. And so you're, it's regimented uniforms and shit like that? Yeah. 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 Church once a day or what? Church Saturdays. And then like if we did like a little like thing, we do something like yeah. Wednesdays or something. But it's a little more lenient than Miracle Meadows in that you said you could like fuck around and have friends and shit like that, right? Yeah. Okay. Like, like we, like, in Miracle Meadows, we formed alliances. Okay, you yeah. know what I'm saying. You Here, to protect was, yourselves I'm exactly. Sure. Yeah. Which, like, you know, some of some of us, like, we talk now. We like had to come back together. Yeah, but we talk, you know. Yeah. Um, but and the same with you know the Highland View Academy. Yeah. But that was more normal, just weird ass Christian board school. So does it get a little better for you there? Uh, I don't know what better is. Okay. Because you know it's like, I I got kicked out of there. Oh. Um, I off a suicide attempt. Wow. Yeah. How old were you? Seventeen. Yeah. Sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. But it it was weird too because it was with my best friend and my best friend at the time's parents who were white. Yeah. Told the school. Yeah. It wasn't even on campus, but they told the school, and then the school was like, "Well, you're failing out of school, and you're suicidal. Got to go." So I could decide either to leave or get expelled. Did anything about school? touch you in a way like art class music class like you didn't you didn't have a single subject that you liked uh science literature um like it i the, the problem is it's the way school is structured you know not every student learns the same no of course so not. i can sit behind a computer and i can tell you so many different things you know that i've taken time to learn yeah but i could sit in class and i'll go to sleep because i'm like oh, right 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 you know right i just wasn't that type of learner yeah totally totally um well i i look at you now and i listen to your music and i can see and hear a lot of like varied influence obviously you said you love metal uh, a moment ago like you can tell you've listened to all types of a wide range of rap and a wide range of music and then your dress reflects the fact that you've probably been into a lot of different genres of music as well so if you weren't able to listen to secular music while you're in school at all because high school junior high that's the time when people really find their music that they love like how did you go about discovering that music that you loved let's go yeah so I, I'm going to shout out a couple, like, uh, Christian groups that are really good. Um, I, I don't want to shout these guys out um, because, like, their lead vocalist did some terrible shit. But uh, I listened to As I Lay Dying, um, Toby Mack, um, Kirk Franklin, a lot of gospel, Mahalia Jackson. Um, I would sneak in a lot of outcasts and M&Ms. Like, I would just, you know what I'm saying? Some biggies, some not. I would, like, sneak in things in between so that I wouldn't get caught because, you know, my stepmom would find my CDs and break them. Right. And when I was in the school, if they found that you had had something, 
they would take it, you know, they obviously confiscate it. But wow. one of the homies had, you know, a CD and he had uh, Notorious Thugs on it. Yeah. And I would listen to that shit on repeat. Like, Armed I, and dangerous. Ain't too many can bang, bang with us. Straight yeah, up, yeah. we know ain't too many can bang with us. I yeah. love that song. Yeah. <laughs> This is at the school that you have that on a CD and you just listen to it on repeat? Yeah, the homie uh, Lionel had that joint. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Lionel. Shout out Lionel. And so, I don't know, did you start rapping back then? I was rapping then, yeah. But like, was it was it uh, Christian rap or what were you doing? Okay, so when I was younger, younger, before I ended up going there, yeah, I um, was with the homies. We was in this group called Five Fifth. Yeah. Five was Five Fifth. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? One hole. You okay. Know what I'm saying? And yeah. uh, we went into the studio. And he had a studio, but we can only do Christian rap because his family was Christian. Yeah. At the time, I was AK-40 Swift, and I rapped very fast because yeah. I liked Twista a lot. Yeah. And it was like a lot of like the Christian stuff, but it was like on my on my own time, I was like, I was, I was banging Eminem, man, My Chemical Romance. And I'm like, I'm like writing some crazy ass shit that I like can't really say to the homies, but I could keep to myself. Right. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it was some cross movement was in there. You know, yeah. it's a good rap duo. Lecrae, shout out Lecrae. He's a really good rapper. All right. Um, just stuff like that. You yeah. know, that's what had, you know, given me the little bit of fix some POD. Yeah. Yeah. That blows my mind that you like grew up on all Christian music or pretty, or a majority Christian music. You know, that's a. Uh... Cause I, man, take, yo, to keep it real, take out the lyrics. Okay. It, it, like instrumentally, there's a lot of value. Sure. Like gospel has so no, absolutely. much musical value. Absolutely. Do you ever graduate high school? No, I got my GED. You got your GED. So, okay. And it's weird because like, I, I man, you know, I failed like grades, you know, and I went to summer school and then I got a 99 in the class. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of like, uh, it's school was the problem. Yeah. It wasn't that I didn't know or understand or couldn't dedicate myself to the material. It was just my environment. Right, right. Then what? No college plans? Uh, I, w- I started to go to community college, and then right at the end, they were like, hey, you're going to have to pay out of pocket for the first class. And I was like, I don't have two grand for yeah. this. I'm not doing this right now. Right. So I didn't go. I just volunteered at the school, um, yeah. PG community. And some time later, I went to Musicians Institute in Hollywood. That's when you moved to L.A.? Yeah. And that's like an engineering school? Uh, it's everything. Yeah. You know, I went in for the percussion program, but, okay. you know, it was also, like, audio engineering that I did with it, too. Learned Ableton, all that good shit. Yeah. Uh, do you have to, like, try out to get accepted, or do they just accept anybody? I had to try out. And it's funny because I was trasher. Yeah. You know, like, trasher because, like, you know. But, yeah, I, just, I was like, uh, I'm not really that good. And then they accepted me. And, like, I yo, sh- yo shout out Rob Carson and Fred Dinkins. And, and, and you know, shout out, like, you know, my teachers that were there, you know, I had a teacher that passed. His name was Chuck. You know, he loved go-go. He loved Latin music. He had a class called Latin Funk Connection. Yeah. And that's where, like, I've learned a lot of, like, the relationship between funk and a lot of, like, reggaeton and, like, just, yeah, it's good. Sick. Well, so how did you even find out about that school if you're all the way over in PG County, D.C.? Uh, a dude I was in the band, in a uh, metal band with had suggested it. So you're skipping so much shit. You didn't tell me nothing about being in a metal band. When did you join a metal band? That was after. After what? So, okay, so I had tried out for, like, different bands. I was in one band called Commence. Um, yeah. I think it was, like, 18, 19. They were based in Bethesda. It's, like, really under oath kind of. Yeah. Um, 
And you know, I was obviously in other like smaller bands then, but that was the first like local like band that we did shows. Uh-huh. And after I went to MI for a while, then I ended up coming back and joining a, another metal band. Okay. You still, I feel, man, you are a bad storyteller sometimes. I am a horrible storyteller. You, you skip around because <laughs> time is not linear in your world. Okay, so wait, when you get out of school, you start joining bands, right? I, you know, I was, no, I was always like doing music. I was always in bands, but this was you the were. first like band, like, oh, we're going out to this church. How are you show. always in bands if you were at these fucking prison schools? Because everywhere has music, man. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> you were allowed to like, well, see, I was picturing them the way that you were describing them on some like. But that's actually what it was, though. So it was like, I only in the in Miracle Meadows, I only had the piano because, yeah. you know, we didn't really have drums there. And then later on, when I went to Highland View, which was more of a boarding school and we had more like, you know, they had chapels and things like that. So we had drums there. So I would play drums for the and, church. And joined a band. At, so it was the church band. Yeah. Okay, church band. Mm-hmm. That's there you go. It's a little different. It it's a little different, but I mean it's that explains it. That explains what it was. So then after Highland View, that's when you join your first band that starts touring around. Not touring around, but playing out and shit. Right. And what kind of music was it? What what is under oathy? Hardcore. Okay, so you're playing a hardcore shit. Yeah. And you're just the drummer or were you doing vocals as well? Just drummer. Just drummer. What's it like playing your first shows around the area? Uh, weird. It's weird and hardcore because you know it's racist. Yeah, for sure. It's like, oh man, you're the black drummer. You're cool, but we also want these particular things done. Okay, that's not my style, but I'll play it. I guess. Did you like being in a band? Did you like being in a group setting? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I like I like being able to work together. But like bands are weird because man, like ego. Yeah. You know, oh, this is more important. This is more important. This is more important. No, like we can we just all make music? Right. Like, how often are you guys playing now? Just whenever, you yeah. know, we can get it. Yeah. You know, um, the ones that had started it, they had money. So okay. it was whenever they would get a show, they would call up like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. What breaks you out of the first band and, and join a second band? I know. I don't know because they they left me out of the band. It was like after we did one show and they were all they all went to the lead guitarist house and then they stopped calling me and then they made a MySpace post that they kicked me out and then they got this white guy and then they broke up a, a year later. Uh, so what? What's the second band that you joined like? Uh, I was, man, we were friends, but we're not. What kind of music was it? It was metal. It was metal again. Yeah. But it was more like a deathcore mixed in with gent, mixed in with some post hardcore. And as far as like being a drummer, is that really? It's like really technical stuff to play. Is that enjoyable for you? Yeah, I love yeah. that. You like being super technical. It keeps my brain exercise. Yeah, yeah. It's like Tool. Like Tool and Rush and bands that have really complex time things. That's why I love jazz. Yeah, It's yeah. jazz. It puts you in it. Like Snarky Puppy, I fucking love Snarky Puppy. Yeah. It puts you in a place where you can just kind of like, you can groove, but like you can also break off. Like, is it Snarky Puppy or Skinny Puppy? Snarky Puppy. Oh, isn't there a band called Skinny Puppy too? Never heard that. Maybe there is. I don't know. Maybe not. All right, if there isn't, I'm going to make a band called Skinny Puppy. Uh, you know what? We have a solution for this. I'd be Googling. Google that joint. Skinny Puppy. Yeah, Skinny Puppy Musical Group. Are, I think they're an industrial band. Wow. Skinny Puppy is a Canadian industrial music group formed wow. in Vancouver, British Columbia in 1982. I knew that. that. Hey, I'm going I'm to write that down. That's hard. Yeah, Skinny Puppy, man. Okay, so then somebody in your second band who you're no longer friends with, they tell you about Music Musicians Institute. Yep. And you were just like, I'm out of here. Let's go to Hollywood. Yeah. My, my my girlfriend broke up with me. Yeah. Yeah. And then she tried to get back with me after I was leaving. And she was like, why would you plan to move and not tell me? I was like, you broke up with me and stopped 
talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, What was the plan? How were you going to pay for it? Like how, where were you going to live? Or did you just do it on a whim? Uh, it was kind of on a, it was kind of on a whim, but there was like certain circumstances that I had to be aligned. I had to have a place. I couldn't get my own place at first because the Sally Mae wouldn't have kicked in until after I got into school. But if I started the school too late in the semester, I wouldn't have been able to pass. Yeah. So my father was like, who are you going to stay with? And then I hit up my ex and I was like, hey, what's up? Um, it was a, it was actually an ex that I was really close with another ex. And she had moved over to Cali. Yeah. I was like, hey, this is really crazy. But, you know, mind if I, uh, and she's like, yeah. Yeah. you know, she blessed me. And she's like, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. Are your mom still alive at this point? Um. My real mom, no. Okay. Um, my my real mom, my godmom, and my godfather are all dead at this point. Man. Um, and then my stepmother passed, um, right after some time after I left school. Okay. Yeah, like the year after I dropped volume three. How long is that school? Uh, or like, like how how many years is that school? Uh, am I? Yeah. Was like a, all four? Or no, two? no, no, no. It was like yeah. a, it was another year and a half or so. Is a year and a half? Yeah, I got hit by a truck. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Actually, out here, I was walking on Franklin Orange. Yeah. Um, in in Hollywood. Hot. Yep. Yeah, and, that's like the that's like the thick of Hollywood. Yep. And some dude said, "Boop," and I was like, "Okay." How bad was the accident? Uh, my knee is still fucked up. Really? Mm. So were you in the hospital for a while? Um, it was really bad bruising. Okay. Nothing broke. Oh, well, that's good then. So at MI, do you start experimenting more with rap music, or what? what what's going on? Like, how do you be, how do you go from being a metal drummer to becoming aerospace? I was always aerospace. Okay. Like, like I was always rapping. That was always a thing. Yeah. You know, it it the drumming was adjacent to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I went to school for drumming, but like I like used that as a way to be able to like learn more different things. Right. And I was like, you know, um, I went to MI like, what, 2013, you know, but I had released volume one, I'd released volume two, I'd released Distance of Separation, I'd released Time's Autopsy, I'd released like a self-produced joint in 2007, I'd released yeah. a beat tape. Like, When did you get into uh, making your own beats and shit? That was the first thing I did. Okay. Yeah, I started off making beats before rapping. Was that like in, in one of the prison schools? It was actually like, I think I was like, 11 12 you started making beats when you're 11 or 12 yeah it was like experimenting yeah you know just putting things together i didn't fucking know what it yeah. was you know you just kind of like oh man ricky has a studio how are you making these beats oh you have a piano okay you put the piano here you hit this okay do 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 okay so you go over here in the beat machine you put the drums on here do 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 it was like i was exposed to it yeah. so i was able to try it out but i didn't have it on my own so i couldn't right. actually turn it into anything when do you start actually learning how to sample and shit like that much later i think it was like 17 18 it's like when i got a laptop and i was actually able to sit behind it and like you got fruity loops or what did you get fruit, ableton uh fruity loops and audacity okay yeah yeah and then later on mixed craft yeah and so you start making like sample based beats back then nah the first beats i were making were very like from my head i put this down like piano i play something on the piano or yeah. i put something in the piano roll yeah you know and then or like my sampling was i heard something yeah. and then i would try to make it the yeah, sound like, that i heard okay yeah 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 and then yeah. later on, i didn't start actually sampling for things until um the empty colors beat tape okay you know yeah that one was the majority of those i think there's like some samples that i flipped yeah right 
So you told me off mic that you're then in Los Angeles for like six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On and off. When you say on and off, what do you mean? So remember, I came here, stayed here for school. Yeah. I was here for a while. But then in between there, I was like, you know, I think like after like the third or fourth year, yeah. I like ended up going back to D.C. for a while, stayed there for a couple months to year. Then I came back to L.A. Okay. So it was like, do, do, do. After the first initial three, four years, it was just back and forth. The whole time in Los Angeles, are you just strictly working at trying to be a rapper or were you also joining bands i was no i was just rapping you're just rapping yeah i connected to some dudes out here like you know connor uh had uh, got me connected to the exo boys you know shout out rav you know kill bill square everybody shido wreck those guys are out here nah where they where are they at? so boom so you got connor but connor was from here and connor just he was this internet like he just knew everybody he like actually reached out to me before i moved to la his name is connor you said connor is this he go by connor raps yeah no, on twitter yeah that's him oh that's my boy i know who that is Shout he's been connor. he's like been following me and responding to me forever connor's the homie okay so connor raps that's somebody that you know yeah that's your homie yeah i just did a feature for him on his latest album okay all right. Um. Now I'm like starting to learn more stuff. Okay. Yeah. And so then, so Connor raps is the guy who tells you or who who introduces you to Kill Bill and Raph. He he told. It's like I think Kill Bill and Raph they had heard about me, but Connor was the one who had made the connection between yeah. the two of us. But at the time, like Connor reached out. I ended up going out there. I ended up meeting like Shango, rest in peace Vader. Um, I you know ended up meeting Lamel, all the homies out there, and out there where. LA in LA okay uh, that's where the song lost the panorama I, I, so I know who Sh- I know Shango I know who that is because of um Eric right he yeah. hangs out with Eric Eric X yeah, yeah. Eric that's the shout homie. out Eric X his mom is my tax lady she just wow. finished my taxes yeah 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 I lived with him for a while that's my guy hey because when I was in tax trouble a few years ago he's like yo my mom is the tax plug and low-key she's yo he's she so is, funny <laughs> yeah she like helped me get out of a jam and now literally she's been doing my taxes for like the last five years remember I was telling you uh, about strange friends yeah that's us oh okay all right now it's starting to make more sense I didn't know any I didn't put any of this together or like I don't know I I thought that you and kill Bill and Rav were all from the east coast nah i'm from east coast kill bill is from more like towards like he's like north south carolina and rav is from london from london yeah does he live in the states now no he lives in london oh so he's like a brit he's british no so you guys all link out here though we did a show together a couple times out here yeah is that where you got that the first time you guys meet in person well, I think, yeah, the first time we met a person was like that first show that we did. Because other than that, it was all just through the internet. Just they heard of me, I heard of them, we didn't talk, they would say things. Okay, so you guys weren't like a crew or nothing? Mm-mm. Okay, and then you play a show and become a crew? Are yeah. you guys a crew? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ex- strange Friends. Ex- no. no, Strange Friends is separate, Okay. We're, uh, we're ex-society. Okay. Exo gang, holla. That's you, Kill Bill, and Rav. Me, Kill Bill, Rav, Square, Rekadam, Ashido. Okay. And Connor was part of Strange Friends. All which right. was myself, Connor, uh, Shango, Vader, who passed, um, Mel, Eric, and Cause, kind of, sort of. Man, this reminds me of like uh, 
when I was in college and trying to keep up with like underground crews and how different rappers could be in two crews at the same time and shit like that. I was never good at figuring all that stuff out and I'm still not, but that's tight. I I like that. All of you guys are working at on solo careers, but you also like, you know, have a support system. Ayo, shout out Mike Melano. I was also in organic geniuses. Yeah. With Rocky miles and yo Ostrom. All right. These are some very backpacker group names. You guys are bringing the fucking dream of the nineties back to life, you know? And all of them are such good artists. Sick. It seems as though you put out a lot of projects sort of in obscurity for a few years. And then maybe in the last like year or two, things have started to like pick up a notch. Does that seem accurate? Accurate, but um, so I dropped Analogs. That was 2016. Yeah. And I had a PR. Shout out Katrina. Okay. Um, I was working with, I believe, Vicious Buzz at the time. They're based out here in LA. Okay. Um, I talked to them for like six months. They ended up picking up, you know, they like volume three. So I gave them Analogs and they just... And yeah. then, like, I changed all my social media, like, uh, usernames or whatever the yeah. fuck. And then all my shit got, sh- like, lost in the algorithm again because all of the... What was your social media used to be? Sparrow Ace. Oh, okay. And then I changed it to Aerospace. Yeah. Um, And then as a result of changing that, all the people had to cover me, like, um, I think uh, Two Dope Boys, uh, fucking Ear Milk, like... pitches and planes like they had all tagged sparrow ace yeah and so once everything is shifted on the internet the internet was like who is aerospace because sparrow ace and aerospace seem like two different people yeah right and so everything got lost okay so that's why i started re-picking up again the past couple years like shout out sprite they picked me up yeah i saw that congrats thank you yeah linking up with like-minded individuals that are in these crews with you did that help sort of pick up the steam internally for me yeah um i think it helped me learn how to adapt better yeah you know i i feel like for i'll call it um the backpacker curse because that's what the fuck it is yeah. like i that whole like man you're just fucking underground better than anybody you didn't mainstream that i like that stopped me from even allowing myself to be in a wider space yeah and once that died at it, it i was able to adapt i was able to learn i was able to connect more which is interesting because it seems to me almost that like your stuff gets more underground as you move throughout your career like listening to the older stuff it's almost a little more palatable or like uh uh crisp more crisply mixed if that makes sense like the last project you put out that is some underground ass rap right that was on purpose yeah yeah So, so that one versus like for example like um if you listen to Sorry to Bother You, yeah. it sounds different. You listen to Analogs. Like, Analogs, Sorry to Bother You, Nocturne, Oscillation, those are more along the lines of mainstream. The volume series, like, kind of all that, that's yeah. more catering towards underground. Yeah. So I was able to separate it in a way where it's like, yeah, like, for example, like, people know I'm aerospace, but aerospace obviously has relation to space. I love space. I wanted to be an astronaut. So, you know, that's why these albums were named what they were, and that's why they were mixed so much more crisp and they sound more mainstream is yeah. because they were meant to appeal to that audience as aerospace versus mm-hmm. the Sendra Gaharo series or anything else was meant to like appeal more to my original fan base. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So you compartmentalize a lot of your records into like different parts of your brain. Yeah. Well, what are you working on now? Uh, it sounds really boom bappy. It's very crisp and yeah. very like just, you know, yeah. my last single, my last couple singles, um, Cosmic Void, you know, it's very like rock Marciano, but like, with a Japanese overlay shout out Ichiro he produced that sick um and then the most recent one that I released was Cinderella 99 yeah my friend Nikki Ario hopped on that and 
Um, that one's a lot more mainstream sounding. Okay. You know, more crisp and more 808 and do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah. What's the goal when the pandemic's over? Do mad shows. Yeah. Like yeah. you want to start touring and stuff? For sure. Would a tour with you, Rav, and Kill Bill do numbers? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. You guys have like a little bit of a of like a cult following going on. Huh? Yeah. Not, I like, shout out Space Cult. Like yeah. I, I really do have... I didn't really realize it until recently. Yeah. But, like, if you go on my Twitter now, I told my, I hit my fans, I'm like, yo, type aerospace just for the algorithm. And they just, like, they're really responsive. Like, I love them. Yeah. That that was the interesting thing. And in, uh, so I've, obviously I've known who Connor Raps is. I didn't realize you guys were associated with him. But then I've also just known who Kill Bill w- was for a while because of Twitter and shit. And then, um, you know, the way that I found you was that I just uh, one day on the kind of neat Twitter account was like, put me on the new music. And a few people hit me with your shit or maybe you did. I can't remember, but I listened to it. I've listened to everybody's, but your shit really stuck out to me that night. And I was like, wow, this is fucking great. Why haven't I heard of this? Bless. And that's when I start um, realizing that you're connected with Rav and Kill Bill. And I start putting pieces together. Um but yeah, then it made me dive deeper into like what you guys had going on as this little collective. And it really does seem like um, there's quite the fan base, quite the cult following there, even though I wouldn't say like um, you guys are getting a lot of like major publication looks, right? Like you guys are just doing it really super independently. The last major look I got was from Flying Lotus. Shout out Flying Lotus. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. That was just the other day. Fucking love you. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, That's dope that somebody put him on to you. Yo. I, I I put him on to me. Oh, <laughs> oh, you tweeted him or something? I just tweeted in a thread and he found it. Oh, sick. Yeah. I mean, then similar ways. Your your Twitter game is doing good. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tight, man. I mean, he lives out here. You go hit him up, dog. You I, guys I, should work. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. I was trying. I was trying not to be like the you know Fanny. Yeah, I get it. But like at the same There's time, there's got to like, be some. Like you guys got to have some kind of mutual connection. I'm sure. And it, it ain't me though. But uh, so anyhow, yeah, man. I don't know. It seems like. Despite having uh, such a um, chaotic, traumatic childhood and and also a very chaotic brain and and just <laughs> jumping all over the place, it seems like you're putting you're putting um, the pieces together to what is becoming a nice little career, right? Yeah, and, no, I'm, and it's going to continue to grow. I'm 29. Like, oh yeah, you know, like my brain is doing that thing where it's like, um, I want to I want to grow. I'm tired of I want peace. Yeah, man. And my brain is finding ways to find as much peace as possible with what I'm living with. Yeah, and a lot of rappers that make the type of music that you make or make the type of music that I used to make, like it's uh it they're not ready for it when they're youths. I just mean that like there's something about um making very introspective music that it starts to work when you get a little older. Yeah. You know, you're not meant to figure everything out when you're 22. Anyhow, man, uh We've already been talking for an hour and a half. Yeah, and I feel like we only scratched the surface, so I apologize for that. Maybe I didn't do my job properly. I think there's so much more to tap into, but we do have to wrap it up. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. We'll do another one or something. You know, we'll figure it out. Uh, It's fun talking to you, man. You're cool as shit. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, And thankfully, the wife didn't text and say that the baby's coming, so we're good. 
but yeah, thank you for making the time. I appreciate you coming in. I look forward to listening to the rest. I'm terrible at um, album titles, and you have so many. And um, there, and the last one that I, that you put out in 2020 that I really like. I don't know how to pronounce it. Senjogahara Hitagi Volume Four. See, that's very difficult. <laughs> and um, but I also like sorry to bother you very much. I th- yeah, I think you're onto something. I think it's going to keep getting better and better. You're one of those guys where your trajectory is always going to continue to make you better and better. So congrats on that. Nice. Um, that being said, tell the people where they can find you online. I am at Aerospace, A-I-R-O-S-P-V-C-E on uh, all social media. Um, type Aerospace in Google or YouTube so that the algorithm can care about me more. Yeah. Um, and Instagram, you know. A-I-R-O-S-P-V-C-E and Twitter. Like, feel free to hit me up. I do respond. Um, I'm kind of a dipshit, so tap in. There you go. As you guys know, my name is Lee. Some of you might know me as Intuition. You can follow me online at It's Intuition. You can follow my man, Avery Kentis, behind the boards making the shit sound buttery, at Avery Kentis with a K. Uh, you can follow us as a unit at Kinda Neat and KindaNeat.net, where everything is wrapped up at in a pretty package. Um, youtube.com slash kind of neat where you are going to see aerospace perform i believe you said you're going to do sorry to bother you yeah there you go yeah you're going to see that one shout out lakeith stanfield why because sorry to bother you is fucking incredible i love that movie oh that's where the title came from nah. yeah man <laughs> uh that's a it is a great song i'm excited to see it performed um i listened to that one on repeat the, the first time i heard that one it's like right in the middle of the record it's the self it's the it's the title track of the record and as soon as i heard it i was like oh i need to press rewind on this three times in a row so it's a really good song getting that from you i appreciate that yeah yeah it's great all right that was it uh, that was aerospace I'm Lee, and this was kind of neat. Olive.